Welcome in, everybody. Welcome back. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whatever time of day you are checking in and listening to us. We appreciate it, and we're hoping you're having a good one out there. Uh, we are back after a three-week hiatus. Life gets in the way sometimes, and a little vacation, a little bit of work, and here we are three weeks instead of every other week, but we're getting back to close to college football season, NFL season, where we can get back to our regular week-over-week schedule. So, Joe, how are you doing after uh, our little break? We are doing great. The sky is bluer, the grass is greener, and the Braves are back in first place. Well, I say back. The Braves are in first place. Where yeah, it's it, really been. It's, uh, it's, it, it's kind of incredible. I was joking with you last night. I texted you when we were uh, making sh- planning on what time we were going to record this podcast here on, on Tuesday night and uh, was saying, you know, hey, maybe, maybe we need to – keep keep on our break right here because the last three weeks since we have not been recording has been the best three weeks of baseball this team has played the entire year I mean granted we're beating up on teams that we should beat up but I mean the Braves are doing what what they should be doing yeah and that's really what it is we got we got some pieces at the deadline that we're going to dive into quite extensively here but the Braves are finally for the first time this season seeming to handle the games that they should, which was something that we hadn't necessarily done throughout the season, but it, it seems like we're winning the ones that we should and, and being competitive in the, in the tight, tougher opponents. Yeah. And you see that, you know, we, we were talking about it for a long time there, how the Mets weren't running away with anything. Um, and, and they've been beaten up by injuries. And then the Phillies were kind of hanging around the same place as the Braves and, all of a sudden the Braves and the Phillies really kind of turn it on and the Mets are going through an absolutely brutal stretch in their schedule. And all of a sudden you look up and, and the Braves have put a, a hair bit of distance. They're a game and a half ahead of the Phillies at the moment, three and a half games over the Mets. And you, you turn around just a few weeks ago and, uh, you know, we were consistently talking about, all right, the Braves are three or four games back. Are they going to make a move? Are they going to make a run? But Let's let's kind of dive into you know where we left it off. It was July twenty seventh was I think the last time we were recording or the twenty sixth right around then and uh, so it was going right into the the trade deadline week and we were talking about what would the Braves do, who would the Braves get, and weren't really sure what management and ownership was was thinking. With obviously Acuna got hurt um, and this division was up for grabs and it was kind of a who knows how hard the Braves going to going to go all in. And I wouldn't say that, you know, it's all in right now for this year, but they went a lot harder. And I think a lot of fans and a lot of people expect them to go to the line. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we kind of got an early sense that there might've been some blood in the water when they went and got jock about a week and a half ahead of the deadline, um, which was a great signing. He's done really well for us, but then to continue to add in places that we need to, and they really checked a lot of boxes in adding depth in the outfield. We also signed Jorge Soler, who was a big power bat we got from Kansas City. He was on the Cubs World Series team as well. Didn't play a big role in that, but he was a a bench piece for them. Um, Picked up Eddie Rosario, who has been injured, but he's also a very formidable outfielder. And I think once he comes back from injury, he's going to be a pretty consistent player in the lineup. And then we got an arm, um, and, and Rich Rodriguez, who has been phenomenal all season long and has continued that with the Braves as of late. So I, I personally was very happy with the moves that we made, and I think we're seeing it in the win column. I think the combination of us making moves and then the Marlins selling – sorry, and we got Adam Duvall, which was my favorite signing of them all. 
skip that one. Um, <laughs> but um, the Marlins selling and the Nationals selling right in right before we get on got on a stretch where we played them a handful of games has really helped us to uh, to pull ahead of not only the Mets but then the Phillies as well. So it has been a a great you know almost month of Braves baseball so far, and the the team's got life. Yeah, I mean that that deadline was was quite active for not just the Braves. I mean it was a historic deadline of seeing teams just left and right trades. I mean, typically you see maybe one or two big trades um lean up those those last couple of days. And it seemed like there was one every 20, 30 minutes of a significant um playoff changing type of trade. And so like you said, the Braves went out and they got a lot. They got um Jorge Soler from the Royals, who when at the time the Braves trading for him was really starting to pick up his bat. And since uh he got over to the Braves, he's He's certainly carried it over. He's batting in 15 games. He's batting 250, three homers, 11 or six RBIs, 11 walks, um, playing, I'd say, just as good, if not better defense than a lot of people expected. He's not a great defender, but that was that was a worry. And he's definitely holding his own out there in right field. Um, you've got Adam Duvall, which obviously all Braves fans should know plenty about Adam Duvall. The Braves really wanted to get him back kind of were upset and kicking at themselves for not uh, signing him or, or not tendering him in the offseason. Uh, it was killing it with the Marlins. It was the first report the Marlins wouldn't trade for him. And the Braves got rid of a piece in Alex Jackson that I think they desperately needed to get rid of this year at the deadline. He had no no place on this team. You have Wilson Contreras had already passed him, Shane Lingo Lears, um, two catching prospects that have both passed Alex Jackson. Alex Jackson's at a point in his career though, that he's ready to be pulled up to the big leagues. Um, it's just, it wasn't going to be with the brace. So that was a really, really good fair trade, in my opinion, um, swapping those guys and Duvall's come over and continue to just, uh, kill with the Braves. He's only batting, uh, two or three in his 16 games, but he's got five homers, seven RB, uh, 13 RBIs and seven walks. So he's doing a lot of damage when he is getting the bat to the ball. And then last but not least, like you said, Rich Rodriguez, which they pulled together right at the last second. Uh, about three minutes before the deadline there on, on July 30th. And in his nine games, he has yet to give up a run. He's got four, four strikeouts. Um, so in not, I can't say it's that many innings, but nine, nine appearances. So I think it's a little over 10 innings. I can't really complain with the type of, uh, progress that he's putting up for him. So, and we gave up Bryce Wilson, another guy that I, I think that we talked about, is a very potential trade candidate type player this year of someone who, you know, really was kind of getting blocked for the Braves' future rotation. You just look at the prospects and the people that they have. So they didn't have to give up a lot for the future, and they're getting a lot of impact for this year's team right now. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think Duvall is one of the smartest players in baseball, and then you know it, it adds an aspect into the lineup where like last season we talked about this a few days ago you can't really pitch around anybody anymore because you got seven guys in in the lineup that can hit a home run on any given at bat and I think that's that's something to be spoken for going into the later parts of this season when we need runs towards the end of the game to win which kind of was the Braves calling card the last two years it wasn't as much this year and then certainly if the Braves are going to be in a playoff run you can't lean on your Albies Freddie and Dansby to, to do all the damage. You got to have other pieces in there and they definitely have. Yeah. They're getting, they're, they're getting stuff up and down the lineup. Now you, you looked at a lineup there in 
Um, even before Ronald got hurt, um, he really just wasn't that deep. You had Ronald, Albies, and Freeman were about the only people that were producing much. And now you look at it, and I was, we were texting the other day or last night, they've got five of their eight everyday players for this, for the most part, have gotten to a point where they're hitting, or five of the eight guys are all hit 20 bombs this year. That is deep yeah. when you're thinking about it. And, hey, you throw Max Reed in there, and you've got another silver slugger <laughs> sitting down there. I mean, Max, uh, I do want to give a shout-out, though, for how great of a hitter he's been. The guy is hitting 340 as a pitcher and has gotten two pinch hits, uh, two pinch hit hits as a pitcher, which is just beyond stupid. Even <laughs> One of them was an emergency use, and the other one was in a game of the sixth inning where they genuinely chose to use him as a pinch hitter. He smacks a ground rule double over the wall. So it, Guys, the guy can hit. You just flat out can. He flat out can't hit. I was, well, I was listening when they were playing St. Louis a couple weeks ago. I was listening to the St. Louis radio broadcast because um, I was in the region, and uh, their their broadcasters were like, "Yeah, that that Max Free guy, he, he's not just normal pitcher. That guy can actually get up there and swing and get a hit." And sure enough, right on cue, he smacks a single the other way. And they're like, "Yeah, there you go. You can't just you can't just throw him a, a fastball right down Broadway. Expect to get ahead of him." So. Um, but no, I mean, we've got five guys that've got deep power and, and they're really showing it lately. You start looking at basically going back to the beginning of August, six runs, seven runs, eight runs, eight runs, two, five, three, eight, three, four, twelve, six, and 12. I mean, these are, this is a, a prolific tear that they're on and it's why they've won 11 of 13 and nine straight games on the road. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been phenomenal. It's it, We're being spoiled right now, but it feels certainly like the the 2020-2019 Braves that could just absolutely pile it on you when they got hot. And uh, it's it's been fun to watch for sure, and it's, it's definitely going to make the next month and a half of baseball pretty interesting to see who ends up winning the division. I think we, uh, we are in a good spot. I don't think it's – it's definitely not a shoe-in because the Phillies are, are a good baseball team, I think – the Mets are fighting some demons right now, but they're certainly not out of it either. So it's going to be an interesting three horse race on uh, three pretty good, pretty even ball clubs. Yeah, you've got, it's going to be a really interesting stretch at the end of the year because you look at the race schedule and it truly is a matter of you're either playing a great team or a really bad team. Like we're talking about this stretch right now where the Braves are, are winning 11 to 13 and they're taking advantage of teams that they should be right now in the middle of a series with the Marlins. And then you've got three more with the Orioles um, this weekend. And then you turn around, you come home and you got two with the Yankees. You've got three with the giants at home. Then you got to travel out West and you've got three at LA. You've got four on the road at Colorado, which is bad as Colorado is the team as bad as a team as Colorado is this year. They're the best team in baseball at home and they're the worst team in baseball on the road. So getting four of them at, at, at their place is something not to snooze at you get nationals again, you get the Marlins again, you get the Rockies at home. So you, you should say that evens out. And then you've got three more on the road against the giants, four against the diamondbacks, three more against, or three and a half, I guess, because they got a makeup game with the Padres, but you've got three full games and that makeup finish out the, the seven inning game against them out West. And then you've got the Phillies and Mets. So it's, it's not going to be an easy road and, the Philly schedule is pretty similar. The Mets are going through a stretch where they're playing the Dodgers and the Giants back to back for 13 straight games. God bless them. And so, uh, 
it's going to be tight the whole way through is what I'm trying to get to here is there is no one's going to run away with this. And this is going to be a full, full tilt three team race for the next month and a half. Yeah. And I think, I think what's going to be a big part is the, the pitchers won't, can't lose confidence when they're playing the Dodgers and the Giants and the Padres, because those teams are going to put up runs and, you know, they're to be frank, they're just better baseball teams. So the keys, you know, yes, they might drop some games. They might drop some series, but don't let that affect and carry over into the next series when you're playing the Diamondbacks, who are probably one of the worst teams in baseball. You know, so just stay level-headed and and continue to to do the little things right and and play good baseball and seize wins when you can. Yeah, I understand that if you if you lose two out of three on the road in LA, it's not it's not the end of the world. You go you know take it up to the next team and, and go take two three against them to even it out. I mean, that's just. That's the way it's going to be. You're going to have to take your moments. And when you, you know, count every win, you need every single one of them coming down the stretch. So you can't, can't afford yeah. to give away games late in the bullpen, um, which they've surprisingly, that's been another reason why they've been playing so well. Yeah. Their offense has been great, but their bullpen's really, really short up lately. Um, yeah. Matzik's been Matzik's well. Been um, and then you've got mentors come up. He's done all right since he's been back and, Will Smith is he's blown a couple saves, but you've got Richard Rodriguez who's come in and, and short up in, in some of those high leverage situations. Luke Jackson's continuing to pitch well. So everywhere around Will Smith, who's mostly getting the job done, um, granted every time it's a heart attack, but it's you get you get a win. So Yep. And and I'm glad you brought that up because I think the bullpen management is going to be crucial for for Snicker and the Braves here on this home stretch, because if they're you know down big in one of these games, I'd like to see them, you know, use this for somewhere like Josh Tomlin. I, I get asked this all the time by friends, like, why is that guy in the MLB? Because you need a guy in that bullpen who can go out there and throw three innings and save your bullpen for the next day. So I think using pieces like that, Waskar, you know, is coming back as well. So he could be another long-term option at the bullpen, depending on what they decide to do between him and Tukey. Um, you know, I was getting the start tonight, but you know, you got, options that can go in there and, and stretch it out. But I think the bullpen is going to need to, I mean, as always, it's kind of cliche to say the bullpen is going to need to stay hot and, and, and be smart out there. Um, the Will Smith issue is uh, worrisome, I would say, because I, I just don't think that he's our guy, but I, it just doesn't seem like we have another option. And the only other option is is to maybe throw someone like Rich Rodriguez in there, but the only thing is, it's like, how much more would you rather see Will Smith come in in the seventh or sixth inning in a high leverage situation? So it's it really is just kind of you're gonna have to see. I think as the day as the game goes on, you know, is there a lot of traffic? Is there a situation in the sixth or seventh inning where you've got a one run lead and you've got their middle of the order? I I think I'd rather see Rich Rodriguez come in in that moment. And then you hope that you can tack on some runs to where you, you have that cushion come the ninth inning. But on the flip side, if you've got, you know, three or four runs, then maybe you go ahead and throw Will Smith earlier and you hold on to Rich Rod in case that it gets closer. So it's kind of a, you know, there's no perfect way to handle this when you don't have a great closer and, it'll be interesting to see how Snicker plays it, but you're right about Josh Tomlin and it is why he stays on the team. And it's why he continues to not be DFA'd when all these other people get let go is, you know, the other day they would, they got pelted by uh, Cincinnati and uh, Kyle Muller gave up a bunch of runs 
and the uh, only went two and two thirds and gave up six runs. And you have Josh Tomlin come in. He gave up five runs, but he, he ate up three and two thirds innings. Like that is a lot that they took off the bullpen. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, the, the game was, they were punting the game, which you're going to have to do sometimes. You're not going to win every single game. So it's a, it's a matter of don't blow, don't blow all your bullets in, in one game. You got to, you got to save some of the chamber. Yeah, and he knows his role. I mean, he's he's a veteran guy in the league. He knows that he needs to go in there and just throw strikes, and if they hit him, they hit him, and that, that's what he does. And he does it about as good as anybody. <laughs> you know, he, he sometimes it's great. Time. Yeah, he, and and again, yeah, sometimes he gives you two two thirds one run inning, which for a bullpen guy's not that bad. So it, it's just you know you got to have a guy like that that can go in there eat innings, not lose his confidence, and not just walk guys around the bags. Yeah, you just got to be able to – you got to pitch contact and know that, you know, if they get on or they hit over the wall, so be it. But your, your whole point is to get outs and get them in as few pitches as possible. And the only way you're going to do that is by throwing strikes and make them swing at it. So, I mean, he's been – he's been doing his job. Frankly, everybody in the pen. And the starting pitching has been really good. Max Reed looks good. Charlie Morton looks really solid. Uh, Drew Smiley is looking really solid. Tuki Toussaint, who the last time we had talked, hadn't even been called up yet, and, he, and he's gotten himself called up, and he's pitched fantastic the last few weeks. Yeah, he has. I mean, outside that one bad start, he he had his first two starts back were absolutely phenomenal. I think he went seven innings in both of them, if I'm not mistaken. It was either six six or seven in, in both, so. Yeah, just great stuff. I mean, the rotation has been pretty dang good so far. And, and I'm interested to see what you does tonight because he was great when he broke his hand <laughs> or I guess leading up to the game where he broke he his was hand. their best starting. He was their best starting pitcher the first six weeks of the season before he broke his hand. So, and, and he can hit too. Yeah, he can <laughs> hit too. He was one of their best hitters the first six weeks of the season. Um, and so it's, it's a matter of, you know, where they're going to put all these pieces because what Tukey did last night, I can guarantee you he's going to get himself another start because he's next lined up is going to be in Baltimore. And so it'll be interesting to see, I think between Tukey and Yanoa, which one of them gets moved because you have Ian Anderson who's making his, what should be last rehab start tonight in triple a, and then he's going to get activated the next time through the rotation. And so it's one of those two will have to go. They're not going to go with a six man rotation. And It'll be interesting to see which one of those two, and it really probably depends on how they perform the next two rounds. I, mean, I don't think either one of them is going to struggle in a in a bullpen role, but obviously they would rather be in a starting role with another you know, the ball. Yeah, definitely. You always want to know what to expect that night and not show up to the club just you know sitting around the bullpen and say, "Hey, it's your time to go." But you know, I think either of them are, like you said, are perfectly capable of coming out of the bullpen and pitching well. Um, it's just going to be interesting how they use them situationally because, you know, do you use them to eat innings or do you use them to to try to carry you through the, the sixth and seventh inning or or what the strategy is there? Um, but, you know, outside of that, I think the Braves are, are certainly in a better place than they were last time we were on this podcast. I mean, Travis Darno's come back. Um, that catching position was one that we just kind of filled for – basically the whole season. And now we have a guy who is, you know, one of the better catchers in baseball. Um, certainly last season, he won the silver slugger and was a phenomenal piece of the plate. And then on top of that, the experience of calling games. So uh, he, he can't be undervalued in, in his return as well. 
No, you're you're absolutely right. That was a huge get. I mean, still has Stephen Vogt on the team, um, and they were just absolutely piecing together left and right, just trying to get anybody that could, you know, maybe manufacture a hit. That was the that was the thing they were really missing is whoever they had in catcher was basically a, a guaranteed out. Um, but you've got you know you've got them typically hitting right now. I think they've been putting him in the seven hole, which is pretty crazy considering he was a cleanup hitter or last year. So, um, mm-hmm. and, and he's hitting just fine since he's come back. And I think he's only going to get better as he's, as he gets more timing. So, um, it's just that, that lineup looks so much deeper, so much harder for, for somebody looking in and uh, anybody on the other side of the mound, looking at that lineup, there's just, you don't see two or three guaranteed outs anymore that, that you can just come after guys. You, you maybe, you don't really get anybody in the lineup anymore. No, I mean, I, I think this is uh, a complete lineup that is de- certainly good enough to be a playoff team. Um, now it'll be interesting to see the kind of momentum because Austin Riley's been crazy hot. Freddie Freeman's been crazy hot. Uh, Dansby's been, you know, nuclear hot. So it, it'll be be interesting to see how how long this run carries out. I mean, certainly they, I don't expect them to to be able to put up the numbers they are all the way through October, but um, you know, when they start to level out, how good that that baseline will be. Yeah, the pitching gets pitching gets a lot tougher in the playoffs. Um, hits become a lot harder to get. You're getting the best of the best, so he, he no doubt always slows down once you get to the postseason. But you mentioned Dansby. Dansby has been legitimately the best shortstop in baseball since the All Star break based off wins above replacement war, which is pretty much the, the bona fide statistic now in baseball for determining who is the best at the position. And basically when you look at the MVP race every year, it's whoever has the highest war wins the MVP that year. And since the all-star break, that has been Dansby at his position at shortstop, which is just goes to show what he has done. And since in the second half of the season, he's been, he's gone nuclear. Like you said, he's hitting, he's hitting bombs left and right. I mean, it's pretty much every single day you're going to get a bomb or a double or a two run single. I mean, something's coming out of him there in that five hole. He's getting a lot of opportunities and he's putting a lot of people in. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so happy that he has, because there was a lot of people around Braves country that were kind of itching for us to make a move perhaps for Trey Turner uh, at the deadline. And, and who knows how that would have, you know, played out with, with where Dansby would end up if he would have been part of that package or we would have sent him to get another piece. But um, Dansby's a, you know, a a Braves country favorite and he's a phenomenal ball player when he's playing like he does. And he, he chose the right time to do it because for the beginning part of the season, as we talked about, he was not playing what we were used to seeing in both in the field and at at the plate. Um, So definitely happy to get him back and rolling because he's, he's fun to watch when he's on. His defense never wavers. And, you know, that's the thing with him is you go through these stretches where he just gets absurdly hot and you can just ride his bat for a stretch of time. He, he, this has pretty much been uh, typical of his career. This one's a pretty uh, long sustained one compared to a lot of them in his career. Um, but the, the defense never wavers, which is one of the things that makes him so, so good every night. It's just you see him make these um, super smooth backhand stabs or these diving plays that he just makes look effortless. And they always seem to come at clutch times of the game. It's really not just him. It's, it's all over. The team is making plays on defense. Austin Riley has been 
absolutely picking the ball at the hot corner. He had one the other night in the Nationals game that he saved Will Smith. Basically saved the game. Yeah. yeah, he saved Will Smith, but the ball's going down the line, and he just he just dives over, snags it, step, uh, sits up, spins, and fires it across the, the diamond and gets, their, gets the guy by multiple steps. And it's just like – it's insane, the level of defense, which is why Anthopolis puts such a heavy, heavy uh, pressure on his defense when he's trying to get guys because – he wants the team to be able to perform like this in clutch moments. He doesn't want to sacrifice it even for maybe an extra home run or two. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's proven wise over time. I mean, defensively, I don't know if there's a better infield in baseball than what we have. I mean, Ozzy's an absolute stick out there at second. Freddie has long been underrated as a defensive <laughs> first baseman. And, you know, as we mentioned time and time again, Dansby's on the, the short list and in terms of, you know, all position players in the infield. And then Austin this season has really come alive at third base where that was kind of a little bit of a, a criticism early on. So there's there's not a whole lot that gets through our infield. No, Austin O'Reilly has gone from, I'd say, below average to average, which is a whole lot easier to do than it is to go from average to great. But there is a big difference when you're talking about even just below average defense to average defense mm-hmm. and the difference that makes in how much – you know, of a different perspective, you have a player that if they can just play fair defense and then they've got the hitting skill set that he has. Uh, I mean, he's been hitting some tanks in some of these yeah. games and, and just as hot as Dansby when it comes to hitting home runs. So, like you said, it's been a whole lot of fun to watch this team. And, you know, here they are sitting alone in first place. Don't know if they're going to be able to, to hold on to it. I mean, I guess that's the next thing that, to talk about is. I guess what are your what are your lofty expectations here coming in for the this last month and a half? Do they hold on? Um, do you think that this is a team that can make a run? Just what are your thoughts? I think that this is a team that should win the division. When it gets to the playoffs, I think it's it's really difficult to tell because I mean you you might have to play the Giants, you know, in that first round. So it, it's just it's tough to see them making a playoff run uh, like they did last year. I just think there's too many good teams in the NL and without Ronald, without, you know, Soroka, I think if we had Ronald and Soroka, I think that this is a team that could make a run, but I just think that, you know, you have two of your best players not on the lineup that were coming into the season. I just think that there's, there's too many good players around the NL, too many good teams that, I don't know that we can make a deep run. I hope I'm wrong. I mean, baseball is one of – I mean, the Nationals of 2018 was, 18 was didn't even win their division. They won the whole thing. So anything can really happen. It's just um, I think if I were to, to put down a lock, I'd say we win the division, and that that's kind of the, the end of the story for this season. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as you. I, In a weird way, I actually wouldn't even say that the, um, the wild card is terribly – uh, outside of the picture in just in case, because you start looking at it and the Braves are sitting here at 63 and 56 and the Padres are 67 and 54. So you've got basically four games back of the Padres. And let me tell you when the pod, when I, when, you know, I was reading off the Braves schedule there of what we've got left. The Padres is just rough. You've got Phillies, Dodgers, Angels, Diamondbacks, Astros, Angels, Dodgers, Giants, Cardinals, Giants, Braves, Dodgers, Giants. It is a lot 
of real <laughs> over 500 baseball teams that they've got to play between now and the end of the year. I, I mean, they, you know, we were talking about it for a long time. We just said, Hey, the West is getting three teams. I don't know if the Padres are, are getting in. And so the, the wild card is sneaking back up to a Braves Phillies potential of the second place team in the East could, could potentially snag a spot. But I, I do think that the Braves can hold on. I, I think that the offense is capable of, putting up enough runs. I think the starting pitching is enough. You're looking at two contrasts and styles of teams. If you look at the Braves and the Phillies, the Braves have got the offense, the Phillies, the Phillies definitely have the better starting pitching. The, um, I, I think both bullpens are a wash, maybe a slight, slight nod to the Braves. So it's a matter of which one, you know, holds on Do the, does the Phillies starting pitching or just the Braves hitting hold on is what's going to determine the the winning team in this division. Yeah, you know, I I do think with what the Braves have now after the deadline that they're definitely the better team. I I would I would say that it's just it, it's that that age old debate of of pitching versus hitting, and you know it, it's you know good pitching beats good hitting nine times out of ten in baseball, but it's just does their pitching hold on for the month and a half rest of the season? And they do have the one intangible that none of the other teams in the East have, which is the Braves have won this division in the last three years. Everybody's coming after the Braves. The Braves know what it's like to be in the pennant race. They know how to get the job done in September. The other three teams, you know, the other two teams here in the division, they don't know as of recently. So a lot of those players on those teams haven't gone through that stretch run. Yeah, I think that's certainly a factor as well. So um, I actually, before we hop off or before we hop off the Braves, um, I do want to actually jump back in an interesting thought, at least to my own head, uh, is how clearly the Braves went out. They got a boatload of, they got three outfielders, four if you count Jock, um, through the through the trade deadline. And clearly they're not doing all of that if Ronald's out there playing in right field because they, they basically went for bulk buy and hoping – almost in a sense of kind of like a money ball type perspective of having, you know, two or three guys try and put up the production of one guy of Ronald. And so Jarvis cannot replace Ronald Acuna. And so my question is if Ronald's on this team, how much different do you think the deadline looks for the Braves? get Rich Rod, but it's just like, and maybe Jock or maybe Duvall to fill the left field spot, but it's like, I don't know how much more they get if they have Ronald on the lineup. You know, that, that's a good question because I don't know if, if Ronald did, if he didn't go down, there's that urgency to do anything really drastic at the deadline. I think, I think they definitely would have gotten one of the outfielders, maybe two, because they needed to fill that hole for Zuna. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably, and they needed and, another good bench piece. And they needed another bench piece, but – I think I don't think we get Solaire. If I had to to pick one of them, I think you get the you probably the get guys. The, you probably still do the Sandoval for Rosario trade. Yeah, and I think I think you lean more on those guys that can play the the position defensively well, and then I think Jock is just a good fit all around. Um, so I, I think I think you get Rosario because you know he was he they were kind of shopping him around. And you didn't have to give up a whole lot for him. And he was on the injured list. And then you have Jock, your everyday starter out and left. And then you keep, you know, Heredia and Almonte's bench pieces. Yeah. And you probably you don't get Duval back. You probably I don't. don't know. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know if you get Duval back. 
And so, and I do think that they still would have gotten Rich Rod um, nonetheless, because that was still going to be a a matter of of contingency that they had to fill come deadline, no matter what. So, I don't know. It was just interesting that I wondered how hard they would have really gone after it. And just with Ronald in there, because they may have been kind of contempt and say, hey, we've got all the pieces. They just need to wake up and, and do what they're doing. And so, who knows if, because I genuinely think that those trades are a large portion to why the Braves are hitting so well, not just because of adding in those players, but it gives a juice to that clubhouse. When you start trading people, they, they get that feel that, all right, the front office believes in us, ownership believes in us, and let's go out and let's make them, you know, let's make them be right for, for their belief in us. It's just that little bit of extra added motivation, especially as you get into the dog days of summer in a, in a long 162-game season. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I think the morale piece can't be, you know, overlooked. Um, and, you know, maybe there was that kind of itching in the, the front office of saying like, hey, you know, we just – we've had guys go down all year. We need to bolster up our bench. And then, um, you know, with let it go Ender, they needed another bench outfielder as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's really an interesting question that I hadn't – thought on but I, I definitely think Ronald going down definitely lit a fire in in the management and, and ownership to say okay we need to either really fish or cut bait this season and I'm glad they chose to fish. I was going to say a lot of Braves fans wanted them to cut bait and you know they're looking pretty darn smart right now for, for keep like you say fishing. You know I, I never understood the Braves camp people saying it's a selling season because I mean who do you sell? Are you, are you selling prospects or are you selling MLB guys? Because I, I just don't know why you would have that position with, you know, the way the franchise has been trending the last five years going from, you know, one of the worst teams really in baseball to winning the division three years in a row. And this season really just got snake bit with injuries. It wasn't that they were just a bad baseball team. They just didn't couldn't field the same nine guys every day. I mean, obviously, it's a huge hypothetical of who would they have gotten rid of. I mean, I think it was pretty common knowledge that Charlie Morton would have definitely been gone. Um, with him being on a one-year deal, he would have been mm-hmm. to a team that was contender looking for short pitching. Um, there were a few bullpen guys you easily could have moved. You could have moved like a Luke Jackson. You could have moved a, uh, a Shane Green, which we can we can talk about some of the uh, you know some of the team or people that we've taken away from the team subtractions in the last few days, but. Um, so just stuff like that, some bullpen one-year pitchers. And then I guess if you really wanted to go Super Bowl and if they really wanted to sell and try and maximize, you could have potentially swap or you could have potentially moved Freeman for a half a season with the knowledge, you know, maybe hoping that you have a an extension or a, you know, being able to let him go to free agency and be able to sign him in free agency, kind of a an under the table deal, move him and let him come back. Teams have done it before uh, at, at a deadline. Yankees, Chapman. Yeah, the Yankees with Chapman's a great example of where they shipped him and then they got him back after the, he went and won a World Series with the Cubs. So that was the best of both worlds for him because they got Glaber Torres and they got Chapman back. Yeah. And a season that they weren't going to do anything. So they could have tried to pull off something like that as well. But, you know, here they are. And there is a lot of revenue that, that can be made from making the playoffs. And I think that's what, what ultimately drove it is that with a business centric team like the Braves, are with their ownership um, that I think that they wanted to capitalize on a, 
an NL East that hadn't gotten away from them. They made the moves that they could make without, you know, taking away too much in the future. And and here they are making a playoff run, and everyone in various countries acting really, really excited about this team every day. Yep. Yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely. And uh, to kind of touch on the uh, the Shane Green thing um, briefly before we we jet onto something else, like we said we were going to do 15 minutes ago, but <laughs> can't get us off the Braves. But yeah, Shane, you know, he, we got him back middle of the season after I guess some deliberations that didn't go this off season. He's just he wasn't off to up to snuff with what we needed from him. I mean, he, he started to rein it in a little bit and then started to regress again. So it just wasn't worth, I guess, keeping him around. And uh, we put him on waivers and now he's with the Dodgers. And as we discussed earlier, I'm sure his ERA the rest of the season will be 0.01. <laughs> I, I saw that today. When he talked to a, he, the, the Braves DFA him. he clears waivers. I thought they were going to just keep him in the minors and hope to, you know, maybe hopefully somehow finds it again to bring him back to the end of the year. Um, they obviously had chosen, they obviously had already come to peace with it, that they just were going to be moving on without Shane Green in general this year. And so they, they let him go and um, completely de- uh, released him. And he signs a major league deal today with the Dodgers. So he's, he's going to be in their bullpen. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he does with them because he was so bad for bad in Atlanta. Maybe a change of scenery will help him. Maybe the Dodgers have a way of, of whispering to him that the Braves pitching coach did it. Who knows? But uh, yeah, he, would it surprise me if he walked out there and, and had three bad outings and he gets, you know, dropped again? No. Would it also surprise me if he goes out there and pitches 10 straight scroll hits, scroll his innings for him and helps them win their division? Not at all, because that team got so freaking good at the deadline. Getting Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, adding that to that Dodgers lineup is just. I mean, on paper, and I, this might be a little over the top, but that that could very well be the best baseball team ever on paper. <laughs> I mean, it's, other than like the you know the murderers row Yankees, I just <laughs> I don't know. It's just man. not fair. It's, you look at the rotation. I mean, oh boo hoo! So you go lose Trevor Bauer last year's Cy Young. Well, here let me just go get the Cy Young for two years prior, who also was a huge piece of a world series team for the nationals and has been one of the best pitchers for the last decade. We'll just add him. Oh yeah. Also let's go add arguably a top three shortstop in the game. If you know, and I, into our lineup and you're not going to put him at shortstop. They're putting him at second base and he's <laughs> every day. They can't even crack their lineup every day. That's how bad they don't even need them. And they still went and did the deal. It blows my, I mean, they're going to use them next year as soon as singer has gone. A heck of an insurance policy. Here, Seager, you're gone. We'll just replace you with Trey Turner. I was going to say, they have the third best shortstop backing up probably the best shortstop. It's just – it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. But so, yeah, that, that that was just one of those – I think my mouth just dropped when I saw the, the deadline. I was just like this, you know, all right, just go ahead and give, give, give 2021 to the Dodgers. It's going to be really, really hard to beat them. But, hey, props to the Giants because they are, they're holding their own out there in the West and they still are – by record, the best team in baseball, and they're not giving up a lot of a lot of ground. Yeah, I mean they're they're playing great baseball, but I, I was going to say it's like you, it's almost like free money betting on the Dodgers to win the World Series, but like it's it's probably not even worth your money. The odds are <laughs> so low, but anyway. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll pivot on to, to something else since we've gone through and done a very very baseball heavy podcast. We're, we're as we look forward to you know, 
we're not cutting it out right here, but as we look forward going into a couple weeks, you know, uh, we'll be off again next week and then we'll go back starting back on the 31st, going to our every week podcast now that fo- starting with going into football. So I, I think that week we're going to be able to, you know, to touch base really, really heavy uh, into a lot of previews and stuff for, for college football in, in the NFL at that point. But I guess if there's anything, anything surprising or anything out there from, from training camps from NFL or, or anything like that that you've heard that you wanted to touch base on before we, we move on to other topics. Yeah, I mean, I guess the big news was the the Packers have, for this season at least, reconciled with with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, they brought back Randall Cobb, which was a a big part of the deliberation. And and after listening to Aaron's press conference, you know, a lot of his uh, um, discontent with the Packers was that he wasn't a part of the conversations where they got rid of Randall Cobb, they got rid of Jordan Nelson, they got rid of Jake Kumaro. Um, so his receiving core. And he, he pretty much said that he didn't like that he wasn't being brought to the table in things that directly impacted his, his ability to play the quarterback position, which, you know, I, I, I think Aaron handled this whole thing the wrong way, but I, I do understand in a sense where he's coming from. Um, but he is back with the Packers for this season. They redid his contract where it looks like they'll, he'll be able to walk after next season or after this upcoming season, if he wants to. Um, some other news, I mean, the the rookie class of quarterbacks was the talk of the town in the preseason games. Uh, Trevor Lawrence kind of eased on the scene. He had a fumble in his, his first drive, but then, you know, I think he went six for nine for 71 yards. Uh, Zach Wilson looked pretty good for the Jets. Um, Jordan Love made his debut for the Packers. That was kind of okay. Um, but the big talk has been Justin Fields looked insane. He was 14 of 20, 141 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he's he making plays on his feet. Yeah. I ran one in. I mean, he, he looked, he looked good. Um, so there's, there's a lot to talk about. Trey Lance was the one who was pretty underwhelming in, in his debut. He did not look that great. Yeah. He, he struggled a little bit. I mean, it's, and Hey, it's the first week, but I think that, I think that there's a fair shot that, Three of those um, guys you mentioned, if not four of them, are all gonna are, are gonna be starting come week one. It'll be interesting to see how how some of these teams play as you get down to it. Um, this is just after the first week of preseason games, obviously, so we'll have a lot more information as, as it gets closer. Um, have two more weeks to do the next time we talk, so uh, it'll be really interesting to see how all of that plays out. Um, and you, you mentioned that the Aaron Rodgers situation. So, yeah, it's just going to be a one last ride given Green Bay with, with him and uh, uh, and Devontae Adams, it looks like as well, potentially just kind of a, a one last, let's try and get our Super Bowl and one last gas out in, and both guys will most likely be gone and Green Bay will have to rebuild a little bit. Yeah, and I, I think that's probably, you know, with all of the, the talks this offseason, I think that's probably as good as they could have hoped for. So at least they have – a calendar year to, to try to plan for something. And, you know, if this, this season's a complete wash, they can just trade them away. Um, but, you know, we'll see. It's it, nothing's set in stone. Um, some other, I guess, emotional news at the NFL, Tim Tebow's tight end comeback was cut short today uh, as he was released by the Jaguars. Um, but, you know, other than that first game of preseason, not a whole, ton to talk about really I don't put a lot of stock in the preseason games at all to be honest um but 
you know, football's back at least. In some, yeah, football's some back. <laughs> it's nice to turn on the TV and, and see people actually tackling each other and, and see games going on. I, but, yeah, I, I don't put much stock into it. it. It's nice if you see maybe a, a an alumni of your school that you're cheering for making a nice play in preseason, and that's kind of nice to see in a feel-good story. But um, we'll see where uh, Tim Tebow's uh, – We'll see what next sport he tries to play. He's tried baseball. He's tried football now on the tight end side. So he's gone back to it. We'll see what other sport he, he tries to give a shot at. Maybe, maybe it'll be basketball. Who knows? I'm sure there's a job for him at the WWE if he wants it. <laughs> I do love Tim Tebow, but, man, it's like, you know, at some point. It's, well, that's what he was doing really good, which was was being a broadcaster. He was he was a really nice analyst on SEC Network. Right? He's a phenomenal analyst. Yeah, yeah. I mean – to be fair to the guy, he's pretty good at everything he does. I mean, to, to play two sports professionally, I mean, granted, baseball is a little bit of a charade, but, you know, it's it's pretty good stuff. But I mean, he's good enough. There are a lot of people who don't get signed. So, I mean, yeah, he got signed because of his name. and But, I mean, he was able to at least put up some numbers. He did better than probably a lot of people would do out there. So Yeah, he hit a couple home runs. He batted like 230. It's better than I could do. I was going to say it better than either of us could do, for <laughs> sure. I mean, we're not professional athletes by any stretch, but I, I can't imagine there's that many going to do terribly much better um so we'll we'll see what happens it was it was a fun little story there for a while hope none of you took too many uh tim tebow season-long props uh, unless it was on unders it was on unders and your congratulations you got to cash those in today so um and i guess a, a really cool feel-good story from from golf there there hasn't been too too much big stuff in golf there was this was the uh stretch run the last three weeks of some some smaller events there was a WGC in there, um, but on the actual PGA Tour side, there was a couple smaller events, and then obviously the last week with the Wyndham, and now they're into the playoffs. So uh, there really wasn't too much other than the the fun story at the end of the year is obviously that chase for for who are those guys that, that get their card right by the number. And there is a really, really fantastic – two fantastic stories uh, kind of at the Wyndham the last week, and there, there always is every year. But you've got Chesson Hadley, who shoots 62 the final round uh, with a hole-in-one, his first ever career hole-in-one, in, in, you know, in personal play or in tournament play, and gets in on the number at 125 to keep his tour card. And he had to have Justin Rose three-putt the last hole to be able to do it. Just pretty pretty remarkable and just miraculous type of stuff there to, to keep his card, which is always just a really cool story. Yeah, it was cool to see. I mean, he was he was pretty emotional about the whole thing. I mean, it's I, I don't feel bad for Justin Rose because he's fully exempt. So if yeah, I was gonna say he's gonna get, that, he gets to keep his fine. card because of uh, career money. So he it doesn't yeah. matter for him. Yeah, I was gonna say don't worry about him. But um, yeah, I mean, definitely definitely cool to see somebody like that get in who's been you know he's had success in the tour in the past and and deserving to be there. So cool stuff. And another another really good one was. Uh, I think it was David Lingmurth uh, needed to shoot or needed. He Monday qualified to get in to Wyndham. He was sitting outside the top 200, which 126 to 200 came to the Corn Ferry finals, which there, then they have a four week playoff where the top 75 guys get their card um, from, from, I think he's top, maybe he's top, no, it's top 25 there. 25. 25 in the Corn Ferry playoffs. So he wasn't even going to have a chance at that. Monday qualifies in and then proceeds to finish Eagle birdie on his last two holes to, to be able to get in and be able to get into the playoffs, which I think is another really cool, just 
just absolutely performing when, when you're actually against the wall. It, some t- somebody somebody does it every single year, and it always blows my mind how they handle that pressure and how they get the job done. Yeah, definitely. It's cool. There's always cool stories like that every year. So you, know, you, you start looking at the playoffs, you got the Northern Trust, and then uh, then you'll have the BMW, which – and then you start looking really big news will come after the BMW, which will be the, the Ryder cup auto qualifying will be done. And then I forget how, how long you have before the captain's picks will be made, but there's, there's a lot of talk of who we're going to be, who, you know, who are the Americans going to be filling on their team come those uh, captain picks. Yeah. And uh, Kisner has been a guy who's been talked about and he, <laughs> he's going to give it a push because he got a, a pretty big win coming from way behind and winning in a six-man playoff that tied the tour record. Yeah, he's an interesting name because um, it's just one of those – it feels like every year somebody is that that guy that when it gets to the playoffs, they make they win one and they get that recency bias and it's you a hot player. Um, will they perform? But he's, he is someone who performs so well in match play. But you're kind of looking at it and you've got DJ Morikawa are 100% qualified uh, looking at points. Bryson is – He's in. He's not falling behind. Um, Brooks and Justin, they've got a huge lead. They're not going to fall out of it. So, and you've got Xander and Spieth are, fall, are right there paddling at 6-7. Uh, it's top six automatically qualifies. So I'm sure – so one of those two will qualify. The other one will, I'm sure, be a captain's pick. So you're really looking at three picks. And there's a whole lot of names that you start looking at, in, at least just on the point standings. English, Reed, Berger, Cantley, Finau, Simpson, Scheffler, Kokrak, um, Horschel, Burns, Kisner there at 18, Mickelson, Homo, that's your top 20. So you're, you're basically pulling probably three guys out of that uh, out of that group there from 7 to 20. It's, it's not going to be an easy decision for, for Steve Stricker. No, it won't be because there's a lot of guys playing well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Harris will get one. I think he's played well enough. But, you know, I think – I think American Ryder Cup captains need to mix it up a little bit. I think we've we've leaned on the same guys for a really long time that haven't done a whole lot. And I, I think we need to, uh, you know, maybe go on a different way. So, I mean, you guys got, want, are hungry and want to be out there. Yeah. I mean, you look at some really high-energy guys that have been playing well. Obviously, Patrick Reed is somebody who plays fantastic in these type of team events. I know he may not be the most team player, but – you already have Brooks and Bryce are going to be on the same team. It's not like the the clubhouse is going to be seeing Kumbaya all the time anyways. And so um, you've got Patrick as a, as a good option. I think Scheffler down there is a really interesting person, guy who absolutely bombs the ball, plays – I think Whistling Straits would be a really good course for him. And he's a young guy, and it's, you know, do you want to go ahead and get him the experience now while it's on U.S. soil before you have to go back to, to foreign soil in two years, and it's a whole lot more hostile environment. So – just a lot of a lot of thoughts of do you play now or do you play for the future with some of these young guns? Yeah, definitely. I think the playoffs will be big. Agreed. I think, I think we need to to pick the hot hands because that was a big debate. Can't remember exactly what year it was, but a few years back, the captains' picks were made before the playoffs, and we picked we left some guys at home that were really hot. It was the yeah, I know exactly. I don't know what year it was in terms of number, but I do know that it had it was the Billy Horschel year where mm-hmm. on two of the playoff events, won the FedEx Cup, and just if if you'd waited two more weeks, then uh it would have been an easy pick to take him. Yep. 
let's see what year. I want to say it was 2014. Uh, do, do, do. Where are our previous winners? But yeah, that the, I think, you know, American golf has always been better when it comes to stroke play. It's just when we get into match play environments, we aren't as good. And I think a lot of that is match play when you're growing up in Europe is like the main um, format for a lot of these tournaments. So these kids have been, or these pros were playing match play tournaments, you know, from the time they're eight year olds and up where junior golf in the United States, you might play a match play event here and there. Um, but it, it's certainly not a part of your typical schedule. And there's a very different mindset when it comes to playing match play than when it comes to playing stroke play. Um, so I think it's, it's definitely a benefit to them just on that. It's getting better. We're getting more opportunities to play match play. By the way, 2014 was the year. Um, didn't have to look it up. You're right. Um, so he, uh, so it's good that we're getting more opportunities, but yeah, it's always been a deficiency of ours compared to theirs. It's how much more uh, experience they have playing before matches because we really struggle with it when it comes to these events. It always shows up pretty heavy in a Ryder Cup, which is some of the decisions we make and in, in how we handle the pressure because it's it's a hundred percent different mentality. I love match play. I think it's one of my it's one of my favorites to play. I would rather play match play than stroke play if I was choosing myself playing in a tournament. So. I just like that, that mindset a whole lot more personally. It's not for everybody, though. I agree. I'm with you. So, I think that uh, that pretty well covers it. We've we've uh, gone through a lot. There were a lot. There was plenty to talk about with the Braves, and then, like we uh, mentioned a little bit ago, it's you know we're getting right back into the fall and gonna get right into the football grind. So we'll have have some previews, talk about our playoff picks, talk about you know what we expect, maybe some some Heisman watch list type stuff, who knows, and, and see what we can't figure out come in a couple of weeks and, and get us ready for, for college football. Absolutely. So anything else before we wrap it up here? Not for me. All righty. Well, we'll let everybody uh, get on with their day. We appreciate their, your time listening, like, rate, review, subscribe, as always. We always appreciate you uh, you checking in and listening to us. We, we enjoy, we enjoy doing this every single week, enjoy sharing our opinions and, as of now, it seems like a good amount of you always seem to enjoy our opinions. We haven't gotten too much backlash, so we must not be saying stupid stuff. <laughs> so, we appreciate it and uh, have, a, have a good one. We'll finish out with, as always, go Braves. Go Braves.